Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how we should treat each other in church. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a big change that has taken place in our church. Our Sunday gathering has moved from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You heard that right, 4 p.m. There are several reasons that we decided to make this change, but let me just tell you one. We now offer the only service in our city that isn't on Sunday morning, which gives people that have work on Sundays or other things going on an opportunity to go to church. A pastor friend of mine said to me not long ago, if you want to reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing. And it is our hope that moving to 4 p.m. will give an opportunity to help new people experience and express God's glory. If you are in our area, we would love for you to try out our 4 p.m. service in person. If you aren't in our area, we'd love for you to watch our service online at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think this can be a perfect way to end the weekend for those of you that listen to this podcast and are on the East Coast. For more information either way about our Sunday gathering, please visit wilsonville.church slash Sundays. That's wilsonville.church slash Sundays. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I want to start by saying I have an advantage on the rest of you, and I don't mean that in any arrogant or vain way, but uh, this, is, this is an advantage I have. And, and there's, there's lots of difficulties in being a pastor, especially this year, um, but th- there are some advantages. And one of those advantages, as, as a Christian person, uh, this, is a, this is huge. And, and it's simply this, that it's really easy to see what I do or don't do in a church, in our church, matters to the overall kind of health and vibrance of the church. Like, if I say, this is my last Sunday, this is it, all of you are going to be like, what are we doing next week, right? Like, and that's, and I, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing, right? To be, it's just nice to know that, that what I do matters here. And likewise, if I forgot to prepare a sermon this week, uh, you would be like, wow, Chad didn't do something, and that had a major effect on our church. It's easy to see that, that what I do or don't do in our church really matters to what happens in our church. But it's sometimes harder to know if what you do in a church matters to the church. It's harder to see if what you do in our church or don't do in our church really actually has any significance. And I would ask you to ask yourself this question. Does what I do affect this church? And does what I do or don't do actually affect the church? And I mean the church worldwide. And for some of you, I think, I think maybe for most, um, our church has a pretty high level percentage of people who serve, or at least we did before this year. Uh, but, but a lot of people, right, are going are gonna to go, I'm not sure. Like if I don't show up next week, maybe nobody at all will notice. If I, if I you know, fall into sin, like does it really have any effect? If I'm not growing at all, like what does it really matter does it even matter at all and and here's what i think is so cool i think this is great because it's so easy for me to see like i said what how what i do matters or what i don't do matters but but in this passage and what i think god wants me to say to you is is that it clearly illustrates that actually what you do or don't do 
really does matter to the church, but I, I'm just, for today, I want you to hear, it matters to this church. What you do or don't do truly, deeply matters to our church. We're going to see that in different ways as we move through Romans 15, starting in verse 14, and this is what it says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and, notice this line, competent to instruct one another. Now, here's, here's what's happened in the book of Romans. Paul writes this incredible, uh, you know, giant description of the gospel, and I'll come back to that in a second. For 11 chapters of this book that we call Romans, a letter written to a church in Rome, and then he spends two chapters talking about what that means for how we live our lives as individuals, and then he flips from there and he moves into this smaller section on what that means for us as a group of people that call ourselves a church. If the gospel is true, this, if the story of Christianity is true, and you've embraced it for your own, then that means you need to live a certain way on your own, but it also has implications for how we do this thing called church. And, and Paul, in the middle of this, he says, I think these really important things. I want to start with that line I told you to pay attention to. He says, that these people are competent to instruct one another. He expresses his conviction that the people in Rome are full of goodness and that they're full of knowledge, but also that they are competent to instruct one another. Now, this suggests to me that your growth, your growth matters because it helps other people grow too. Let me just ask the question, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus, in your spiritual life as a Christian, are you growing in such a way that you are able with your words and with your life to instruct others so that they may grow in their relationship with God too? It is very important, and I mean, I mean this in a you know, personal way because I've experienced this. I'm gonna give you a couple of illustrations in a second, but, but it is so important important to have growing people around you to help you grow. And often when you hear that, right, like I think your first response might be like, well, of course I need other growing people around me, but, but put yourself in their shoes, right? It's important for the people next to you to have growing people next to them in order that they might grow too. I've experienced this in a couple of ways. Uh, I played college baseball. Some of you know that. I've probably told you a million times. I feel good about it. Um, and uh, so I played college baseball. If I would have played professional baseball, it would have been in every sermon. So you're lucky that I didn't go that far. Uh, but I played college baseball, and I can tell you that, that some of the most productive parts of my college education at a Christian school was sitting on a baseball bus because several guys on that bus that were, were aspiring pastors studying the things I was studying, theological studies, pastoral studies, biblical studies, and just, just to be on the road for eight hours in the back of the bus discussing the areas of our lives where we were growing, much of it just mental, right? Like, this is what I've learned. This is what I think about it. This is how I'm trying to apply it to my lives. 
of my life. To have, have other people doing that same thing was some of the most formative, important conversations that I've ever had in my life. It wasn't, you know, the professors had an impact on me, but those guys, Ryan and John and uh, Kyle, who hated me, but uh, Russ, like thinking about those, those guys and, and them just striving to grow in their, their knowledge and goodness and how because of their striving to grow in their knowledge of goodness, it pushed me to strive to grow in my knowledge and, and goodness as I was developing my relationship with Christ. It's important to have growing people around you to help you grow. And, and likewise, my brother-in-law right here, Matt, um, we lived together while he was doing his undergrad work and I was working on uh, my master's degree. And man, some of the, the, we were just hearing different things and different perspectives in our classes and we'd come home and we had nothing to do besides play video games and then dialogue about you know these very important spiritual issues. Now for me and Matt, if you know us, most of the time it took the form of just arguing with each other hour after hour after hour and dragging anybody that would walk into the apartment, which is a lot of people, uh, into the argument and trying to get them on our side. That's what it looked like. We were never, I don't think, ever truly, we were never angry at each other. We were just debating in part in order that we could sharpen and, and grow in our beliefs and our understanding of God. And I hope, and maybe this wasn't true, but, but I hope that we were doing that in order that we might also become more like the Jesus that we, that we serve. I've seen this in my own life. You, we need growing people around us to help us grow. And I think what often happens in churches, there's plenty of example of this, examples of this, is that it becomes a group full of people who have maybe grown to the point they want to grow to, and then they all just kind of hang out and do whatever. But people stop growing, and then, and then there's no growing people to help you grow anymore. It is absolutely essential that, that we are growing because it helps other people next to us grow. You ask, is, is what I do important? Is it important at all that I grow in my relationship with God? Because in, a, in the American society that we all live it's so easy to just be individualistic in our thinking and think what does it matter what is what does it actually matter if i grow because everybody else is doing their thing and they're going to grow anyway but this suggests to me that we must grow not just for ourselves but because we're helping other people grow as we grow now let me point your attention backwards a little bit again and he says goodness and this word means the quality of him who is ruled by and aims at the good moral worth or sterling goodness, and then knowledge. I think these are two of the most important areas of development. Paul is describing in large part what it means to grow as a Christian. We, we develop a desire to do more and more good, and we define that good in large part by our knowledge of what God has told us in his word, the Bible. And as we grow in our desire to be more like God and in our knowledge of what God is like and what he wants from us, then as a necessary byproduct, I believe, the people around us are going to grow too. Growing Christians support the growth of other growing Christians. And, and really, I'm, I mean, I could stop there because that means that what you do actually matters to our church in a really profound way. I can get up here every week and be the greatest communicator and we can have the greatest music and we can run the greatest programs. But if none of you are growing, then it's gonna be really hard for our, the people next to you to grow along with you. What you do matters. 
But I think Paul says more about this as he continues on. Verses 15 through 22, he says, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Illyricum, Illyricum. I'm pretty good at reading Greek normally, but that word's not coming out very well for me. You'll have to forgive me. It's going to bother me. Um, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Now, that's a lot of words. I know. I read a lot of words. I even messed one up for you. But in, in that section right there, if you were paying attention, you see this, this really important thing that I think you need to understand about yourself, but the author of this book clearly understood about himself. And that is that Paul knows without a doubt that he has been given a ministry by God. And effectively, he says there that I have passionately, actively, constantly, and faithfully tried to live out that ministry to try to fulfill God's calling upon my life. And in fact, he says, I have fulfilled it in at least one geographical area. And what I think I, 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 you know, you might say, what I think so many people say when they come to a church, they look around, they're not musical and they hate kids, and they think like, what am I supposed to do here? God must have not, must not have called me to anything at all. Do I, I, I wish, some would say, I wish that God had called me to something. But, but here's, man, I need you to hear this. God has called you to something, and it's really important. I don't know what it is. Um, but a God has called you to something, and it's really important. You have a purpose. This is one of the battle cries of our entire church. It's literally on our sign at our church's property. You have a purpose. And we don't think that that purpose uh, is... It's just some broad purpose. It says it up here. We believe that every one of you is meant to experience and express God's glory. That's another battle cry of our church. But within that calling, we, I believe, we believe, the Bible declares, I'll talk about that in a second, that you have been given a specific responsibility by God. You have been given a ministry. Just like I have been called to pastor this church and preach, there is something that God wants you to do for his church. You absolutely have a purpose. Here's what Paul says in other places. I'm not going to read you verses. I'm just going to give you the, the bullet points on what Paul tells us about calling. And remember, this is a guy who's like, I have such a specific responsibility is to preach to Gentiles. And again, he said, like not to build on anybody else's foundation. We'll come back to that in a second. But, but Paul in other places says a bunch of stuff. He says, you actually were created for ministry literally like when God was forming you, he had an idea about the ministry that he wanted you to do. Not only that, if you're a Christian, you were saved for ministry. I mean, when you, you, you think like I was saved to get to heaven, I was saved for the forgiveness of my sins, absolutely true if you're a Christian. But on top of that, you were saved to do something for God. 
And then he's called you to ministry. Maybe you've never recognized that calling. I get asked that question. How do you know you were called to ministry? It's a funny question because I could, I guess, I've never thought about this until this moment right now. I should just say, how did you know you were called to ministry? That's what I'm going to start saying to you. So don't ask me the question, how do you know that you were called to ministry? I, I know I was called to pastor but you have been called to something. And if you can't answer what that something is, then maybe you're ignoring the call of God on your, on your life. And this is, this is the cool part because you think, man, if you're a Christian, you might go, well, I don't know if I'm good at anything. Like I said, I hate kids and I, you know, I'm not musical. What is there for me in church? But here's what's so amazing. God has equipped you. He has gifted you for ministry. And this is like a supernatural gifting. I actually believe that God has, I think God has, uh, made you for your ministry too in just like the normal sense like you have a specific set of skills and abilities and likes and dislikes and you have a background there are certain things that you've been impacted by I think all of this is part of what God is calling you to do but there's also a supernatural gifting that God has put into you for a purpose and I just wonder like are you doing it right because if you're not then, then the church and our church suffers for it. I, I, I've thought through the years about people who have left our church and I've, I've just, you know, maybe God said, hey, come to another church, but sometimes I think, wow, like, did you just leave us and take your gift with you and who would we be reaching that we're not reaching? What would be accomplishing for the glory of God if you had not, you know, got upset or mad at somebody or disliked how we were doing things and taken off? Like, I mean, what, what would we be accomplishing if you had just paid attention to how you were created, saved, called, and equipped, and placed even uh, for, for ministry? I have some examples, just people I thought of, like, like just that, that I've seen kind of fulfill these callings. We had another roommate, this Matt and I, named Matt, and he was actually supposed to be here uh, this evening and uh, wasn't able to come, but uh, Matt was a greeter for a long time at a different church, and man, I am convinced he's just wired to meet people at the door. He's one of those guys, and we've, we've discovered this. Greeters can't like people too much because they'll talk too long, and then, you know, they have 20 people walk in while they're meeting somebody, but you got to have, like, the guy who really cares but doesn't really want to learn your story, right? So if that's you, we need you to stand at the front door. Uh, you don't need to raise your hand right now, um, but, but Matt, my goodness, absolutely perfect. Everybody that meet Matt meets Matt feels like Matt cares about them and likes them and I think he genuinely does but he's quick hitter you know bang bang and I I just used to think like I would love to have that guy stand in our front door on Sunday mornings and so Matt if you're watching online we need you here uh I think of my grandma who's right back there and just you know just doing children's ministry for decades on end I think she started when she was 12 or something is that real uh like 12 years old she started doing children's ministry and uh, and still wants to do it, but she's not as young as she used to be. Um, but just all of the lives that were impacted by her quiet service to children. I think of Corey, who basically saved this church a couple of years ago. If you don't know, uh, Corey is our finance guy here. Uh, he is an elder at our church. Corey uh, showed up to the church and, and said, I'll, I'll volunteer to be on, on the finance team. We had literally, we had a four-person finance team. And and then one person left the church, and another person moved, and, and you guys may have known Vic, and uh, Vic was in another church, and he moved, and, and then there was Corey. It's like, hey, Corey, how you doing, man? Uh, 
And then our church's software that we had used for two decades, uh, financial software, sent us an email and said, yeah, this is all done in a month. And I remember sitting with Corey over Thai food saying, Corey, I have a list of 30 things that I don't know how to do. And I'm not saying you got to do them, but I I don't know what's going to happen if you don't, man. (laughs) And Corey, without hesitation, without complaint, said, I got it. And I'm like, you got which ones? He's like, I got the list. I'll take care of it. Corey was working (laughs) like a full-time job for our church. And he's a full-time worker uh, for weeks because, because he just felt called to do it. It mattered. I don't know if we'd be standing right now. I don't know if I'd be here if Corey hadn't stepped up to the plate. And nobody even knew. Did any of you know that story? Maybe two of you. Uh, but like nobody else here even knew that story, that we had that Thai food or that Corey said, give me the list. I was like, good, because I don't even know what these words mean. What's a budget? You know, like, I mean, what, do, what was I supposed to do with this thing? Uh, this, this, this is what it looks like. God has given you a ministry to do. And if you don't do it, our church is not going to be what God wants it to be. I can say on the flip side of that, we've built this church. Man, and, and this is, we're, we're a good church. And, and, and I think part of that is that we just said from the beginning of my time pastoring this church, we're not going to decide what kind of church we're going to be. We're going to see the giftings that God brings us, the people that he brings in and and how they're called to do ministry, and we're going to build our church based on that. I've seen far too many times in churches where where some good leader that can communicate well just has this idea of what church is supposed to be, and and basically they just say, we're going to do this, and then all of you need to do the exact things that I say you need to do, and that's how we're going to build our church, and I just don't think it's biblical. I think what's biblical is saying, who's God bringing to us, how are they equipped, and now let's build our church that way. At the same time, we do need children's ministry volunteers. So, uh, no, so well, let's throw that out there. But that's, that's, that's how important I see this issue. What you do as far as your spiritual growth matters and then what you do as far as finding and striving to live out the calling that God has placed upon your life, it truly matters to our church. God's given you a ministry to do. And that ministry, man, he says... And what he did, he said, look, it's it's about what I've said and what I've done. Another translation says word and deed. We must minister in words and deeds. And I think, I think that we all can see pretty clearly how people's efforts at ministry matter to church. I think there's somebody sitting right in front of me. May not have been them, but I think this is your story. I won't say any names. Didn't clear it ahead of time. I wrote your name on here, so I know. But uh, they told me that the first time they visited this church, and they've been here a long time, they said, if nobody sits by me, I'm not coming back to this church ever again. If nobody comes and sits by me and talks to me, and somebody walked up, sat down, and talked to them. That feel like a divine calling? No, but somebody's still here going to church, and our church faithfully and awesomely for a long time because, because somebody said... I'm going to at least live out a portion of my calling here and just walk across the room and, and talk to somebody. I mean, that could be you. We, I know like how important. There's people that, that are so good at just meeting others and <laughs> inviting people out to lunch. And maybe that's, I mean, we're trying to start that ministry. So maybe that's your calling. I don't know what your calling is, but I think you need to spend some time figuring it out because if you don't, 
live out your calling, it actually matters to the church, Christianity worldwide, and our church. Romans 15, 17, and 18, I'll just read it again. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And then he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's not that we look around and we go, I'm gifted, you know, like I'm awesome. We look at God and we say, God has equipped me to do something. We're not looking for glory. We're not looking to, you know, we're not prideful or arrogant because we recognize that this is a God-given gift and we must put it to use. Let me just say that one of the things, if you know me at all, you know this about me, one of the things that drives me nuts in our society is that we act like everybody's good at everything and nobody's bad at anything. I think one of the greatest things we could do for our children is let them know gently that they are not good at certain things, but God has created them very good, better than maybe anybody else at certain things. Because that helps children understand that God has uniquely created them with a purpose to experience and express his glory. When everybody feels like they're kind of good at everything, but not really, and not bad at anything, then nobody's, nobody's actually recognizing God has given me the ability to do something for him. For him. I, I believe, man, I believe, maybe Zoe said, I believe that every one of you in here is the best at something for this church, the best at something. And I can give example out of an example of people that you may not know do anything, and they pay just, they're, they're like so good at something, you know, and, and it matters to what we do in church, but I won't go on. And Paul says in all of this, though, that it's done by signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, we, in even if all of us are serving perfectly, we need the power of God in our ministry if it's going to have effectiveness at all. I know one of the things I've been most guilty of as a pastor is just leaning, I know this is true of so many pastors, just leaning into my giftings and forgetting that I still need God to do the work. I've been a lot better this year because, <laughs> because I haven't had the power to keep doing things, but but man alive, even when we're equipped and called and gifted and you know we see it all and we're doing the perfect thing, we gotta turn our attention to God and say, if you're not in this, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. One of the things we pray, we didn't pray before church this morning, but one of the things we pray uh, almost every single Sunday is God, like, you know, especially when we're setting up, like God this is too much work. We've been here for two hours <laughs> getting this place ready to go. And if you don't make an impact through our efforts to live out our calling, then why did we do it? Right? Because even though we do the best we can do, we need the power of God. And we must pray. This is another reason you matter to what happens in church. We must pray. We must pray for God to move in our midst. Because even if all of us are serving well, we need, we need frankly, the power of the Spirit of God, if any of it is truly going to matter. Now, Paul says his desire is to not to build on anybody else's foundation. That's unique to Paul. That's not like a ministry for everybody. I'm like the 10th pastor of this church or something. I just found out the other day. I didn't know that. You probably thought I was the first, but uh, like there's been a lot of pastors before me. I don't feel any need to go start a new church because there were other guys here first. I'm not wired that way. I'm not called and equipped. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's unique to Paul. But it does remind me of something that I wanted to say to our church. Maybe you've forgotten this in this year that, uh, that we haven't been together nearly as much. But one of our goals, perhaps our main goal at this church, 
is to baptize people every single week. That's one of the, when we talk about what we're building towards, if there's any grand picture of what we're going to become, is that we want to baptize people every single week. We got prayer, we got song, we got a sermon, baptisms. That's how I want this thing to look. And and I don't, I mean, and just to fit with Paul's words, I don't want to be a church that steals people from other churches. Like, I just, I just want that out there. Like, I don't really care about growing our numbers that much. I want to reach people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus, and I want them to know it and believe it and become Christians, and I want to baptize them. Paul says in Romans 15, 21, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And what will they understand? They'll understand the gospel. Paul begins this letter talking about the gospel. He, he spends the majority of the letter hashing out what the gospel is, and then he ends with the gospel. And uh, yeah. The gospel should be the compelling reason behind you know, why you care about how the church does in the first place. You go, well, okay, so it matters what I do, right? It matters to church what I actually do, but why does that matter? Because of the story that we call the gospel. If you're a Christian, you believe what I'm about to say. If you're not a Christian, we hope that you will. We believe that each and every one of us has rejected God, that we are sinners, that, we, that we've done things that were disobedient to our creator and our maker, despite the fact that he loved us perfectly, wonderfully, awesomely, all of those things. And, and that same God who created us and made us, instead of looking down and saying, well, messed up, start again, whatever, I'm sending them all to hell. Instead of that, he came in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the end of that perfect, sinless life, he died the most horrific death the world has ever known. Not because it was physically worse than any death, although I think a case could be made for that. But because when he was nailed to a cross, all of the punishment of our sins was nailed to him. He paid the punishment of hell as he hung on the cross. And then he died. He was laid in a tomb. And three days later, he he came back from the dead by the power of his heavenly father. And he conquered in all of that sin and death on our behalf. All we have to do is accept that gift. (laughs) And that makes church... So important. In fact, it's what's incredible to me. This is the most humbling thing because no church does a great job of this. But what we're told in Scripture basically is that when somebody looks at the church, they should see the Jesus that we serve. That gospel story should be encompassed by everything that we do here as a congregation. And I just don't think it can happen if all of us aren't on the same page and I'm growing so that others can grow. I'm striving to live out my ministry so that we can be all that God wants us to be. I'm praying for a movement of God here and I'm doing it all because I believe that Jesus is the savior of the world and I want others to know it too. Paul finishes, he says, but now there's no more place for me to work in these regions and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you when passing through and to have you, notice this phrase, assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there from Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them, for if the Gentiles were shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and I've made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on my way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Here Paul shifts in many ways from reaching the lost to loving 
the reached, if you will. And, and in doing this, he says a couple of important things. Uh, one, I just I want to point it out. Uh, one is that the church should be globally minded. That's one of our core values here, and that's why I want to bring it to your attention. One of our core values is that we would be global, that we would not be here just to serve ourselves, but we would be here to serve God's church everywhere. And we do it in small ways. People always want to use our sermon intro videos that we spend so much time on. Nobody's asked about the hello one yet, but, uh, but people always want to use these. We're quick to respond and say yes. That's a, it's like a part of our ministry. We just want to serve other churches. But I think that, that this vision has been encompassed less by our church this year and more by the churches that have been so good to us. Uh, we, we, we've met in Grace Chapel's office youth room. We've met in... Um, we met at uh, Hope International Church in Oregon City for four months, and now we're here at New Life Church. And I think what they've done has been so beautiful, right? And, and frankly, it's just a picture of what Paul is talking about here, churches serving other churches. These churches, man, what would we have done? <laughs> I mean, we would have been in my garage just live streaming all year. That's what I would have been doing, preaching in front of the bookshelf. Uh, ping pong table in the background, garbage man outside. I mean, good night. But these churches have just said it's not only about us. And I can say this building we're in right now, New Life Church, if you know anybody that goes to New Life, give them a big thumbs up. They've been so kind to us. It's been incredible, and it's so beautiful to watch. I think so indicative of how Jesus wants us to be when it comes to our interactions with other churches. They're letting us use their equipment. We're moving stuff. You can go look out there. We're totally branded out there. Like, move whatever you want, do whatever you want. It's been crazy to watch and crazy in a good way. And Paul here, I mean, he's talking about this kind of global, we're assisting each other here, even though we don't go to church together. And that word assist me actually is a technical word for missionary support. Uh, you think it's all nice. Paul's like, I want you to hang out with you and all that. He actually says, well, I want to come so that you can hook me up with some money to continue my ministry elsewhere. And I've already mentioned that he writes about this contribution to the poor in Jerusalem. And so the, the last way, and maybe the way that you'll like least, is, is that even, even when it comes to the money you choose to give or not give to our church, that has a direct effect on the kingdom of God, the work that God is doing in the world. Uh, you may know this, you may not know this, but 10% of the money that that we get as a church goes right back out the doors. Uh, it goes out to support missionaries that we know and love personally, but then it goes beyond that. It goes uh, to contribute to the second largest disaster relief organization in the world. It goes to help uh, train pastors. I'm one of those pastors. It goes to help plant churches. It supports retired widows and uh, retired ministers and, and their widows. We support programs right here in our backyard. Uh, this is not to mention the rest of the money uh, that does uh, important, like the other 90% that I think does important work right here in our community. And so I know it's, you know, the rest of the things have been so big and so global, but in your decision to donate or not donate to our church, it matters. I mean, I'm not guilt tripping you. I'm just telling you, I want those of you who don't give to know that matters, but I also want those of you who do give to know that matters, right? Like when you drop a dollar in the offering plate, it actually matters to the work of God on this earth. And then at the very end, he says, all of this so that the full measure of the blessing of Christ may be present. And, and there's a, that word baited a little bit, but it seems to mean that there would be mutual blessing amongst him and these people in this church. And whether that's true or not, I don't know, but 
But man, that principle is sure true, right? Because a church should be a place of mutually blessing one another. Hear this. Pay attention to this if you haven't paid attention to anything else. Church is not meant to be a stage performance that you choose whether or not you like or dislike when you drive home. I've told some of you, and I love my family. We're great churchgoers. They were involved, all that. But every drive home, every Sunday, what, what did you think about the music and what did you think about the sermon? And basically, we're like Simon Caldwell. How's that guy's name? American Idol guy. You can tell how good I am at pop culture. That's it. That was church for us in a lot of ways. The drive home, good or bad today? I do not care if you like my sermons. <laughs> That's, I'm glad when you do. That's nice of you. Nobody ever tells me when they don't, so I'm not sure. But this is not a performance for you to enjoy. This is an organization that God designed so that we could be a mutual blessing to one another. And that's why that is at the heart of the reason that what you do or don't do as far as how you participate in church absolutely matters. It matters. When you're growing, you can instruct others. When you are serving, you are ministering to others. When you pray and seek a movement of God, it, it, we see God's movement in our midst. When you give, you support the ministry that changes lives. I, I want you to know, I want you to know that what you're doing or not doing, I tell you, from my perspective, from the Bible's perspective, from Paul's perspective, from God's perspective, it matters to this church. So do something. Figure out your calling. Make a contribution. Be a mutual blessing to the other people that are part of this church. Don't be just a taker.